Hi, I'm Mike Snyder. You may have heard me on Back to the Futurama and Good Morning Greendale. On this podcast, I brought my own soapbox, and I want to talk about things that I find interesting. Today, I'll be talking about college football. College football evolved out of rugby at different colleges, mostly in the American Northeast. The first recognized intercollegiate college football game was on November 6, 1869, between Rutgers and Princeton. From there, hundreds of college football teams started in the late 1800s. Unfortunately, this form of football was dangerous and even deadly, as 330 college athletes died from injuries on football. As per the sports historian, this caused President Theodore Roosevelt to work with colleges to figure out a way for this sport to be less dangerous, and around 60 schools met in 1905 to form the precursor to the current National Collegiate Athletic Association, or NCAA. Since then, it has mutated from a regional sport in the early 1900s to the national sport today. That being said, the world of college football has been behind other sports leagues in one particular way, the postseason. In most sports seasons in the United States, they end in playoffs designed to select a champion via head-to-head matchups, giving advantages to teams that played well during the season. For instance, the best team in the league could get a bye or play the team that just snuck into the postseason top-level college football, for all of their 130-plus teams, didn't have a playoff until 2014. There are only four teams that make it in now, although it seems likely that it will be expanded. Before that, computer and power rankings decided who would play in the one number one versus number two matchup. This was not ideal, but it was better than the previous systems that more often than not wouldn't even match up the number one and number two teams in the nation because of Byzantine conference matchups for bold games, which are mostly somewhat meaningless postseason exhibition games that inexplicably can mean success or failure for an entire season. Bold games, which still exist for teams that do not make the playoffs, often sign contracts with conferences of teams, except for the bowl games that compromise the playoffs that get the top four. For instance, the Texas Bowl, currently sponsored by a sporting goods discount store chain, will select a team from the Big 12 Conference, helpfully consisting of 10 schools, generally centered in the Southern Central Time Zone, but also including West Virginia, and a team from the Southeastern Conference. These tie-ins also indicate in which order these bowls will select teams, so the Texas Bowl gets the sixth choice of the Southeastern teams and the fourth choice of the Big 12 teams. College football has long been a big business, and that has increased in current times. In November 2019, Forbes' Chris Smith looked at the top 25 most valuable college sports programs. The least valuable on that list, the Clemson Tigers, had a three-year average profit of $27 million. The most valuable on the list, the Texas A&M Aggies, had a three-year average profit of $94 million. Based on Forbes' reporting, the average team majorly relies on three revenue streams. Television contracts, including distribution from the NCAA and the conference the team is in, ticket sales, and contributions from donors. That money tends to go more for administration of the programs, including the coaches. Based on reporting from the USA Today's Steve Berkowitz for the 2018 fiscal year, 
Schools spend about the same amount on athletic scholarships as it does on administration and support staff compensation, an average around $1.7 million. Coaches make more than that with an average of $1.9 million. Facilities continue to get renovated as well to entice the next cohort of athletes to join the university. The athletes get a scholarship to the university in football that, according to USA Today's Kevin Allen, reflects the, quote, full cost of attendance, end quote, but are barred from making money slash benefits in other ways, whether that is via endorsements or other means. For instance, according to ESPN, Terrell Pryor, a former Ohio State Buckeye, allegedly made thousands of dollars autographing memorabilia while a quarterback for the school in his junior year. He withdrew from Ohio State and went to the NFL, becoming a member of the Oakland Raiders. In 1987, money in college football tangled in a way that changed a college forever. Southern Methodist University, SMU for short, was found to be conspiring with athletic boosters to pay money to players for years. The school had already been placed on probation for this in 1985, but in 1987, the NCAA punished SMU with the death penalty, a forced cancellation of the 1987 SMU season and has haunted SMU ever since and has become a cautionary tale of using the death penalty as per time. There is some change coming in that front, as states in the United States Congress has proposed name, image, and likeness rules that will allow college sports athletes from profiting off of third-party endorsement deals. It is an ongoing situation, but since I'm on my soapbox, I'm going to tell you my opinion. While I think college athletes getting scholarships is a good thing, and that most college students would love to get that, the college athletes being able to use the cachet that they have earned to market themselves and gain money on the side is a good thing. When I was in college, I worked in a work-study position. Other students are able to work on or off campus to make extra money. I see no reason why college athletes shouldn't be allowed to take the same steps as long as it's all above board and there are services being rendered, such as work or endorsement. The connection between a college football fan and their college football team is very tight, and in sections of the country with little professional sports teams can be much tighter than any fandom of a professional team. As Brian Curtis at Grantland says, quote, you chose to go to a certain school and football players chose to go to a certain school, and this builds an important, if tenuous, connection between you and them, end quote. As an aside, the Grantland piece lays out additional rules about being a fan of a college football team but my alma mater does not offer football and based on those rules I am not violating them another key aspect to college football are rivalries there are a ton of them some rivalries are within states like Alabama versus Auburn some are based on shared service like Army versus Navy some are about bordering states like Oklahoma versus Texas a lot of them have fascinating names like the backyard brawl between West Virginia versus Pittsburgh or the world's largest outdoor cocktail party between Florida versus Georgia. There are also interesting trophies to win, like the Black Diamond Trophy between West Virginia versus Virginia Tech, the Old Oaken Bucket between Indiana versus Purdue, or Paul Bunyan's Axe between Minnesota versus Wisconsin. There's nothing better than winning a rivalry game. For a lot of schools, it's the biggest game of the year. My journey with college football is a whole lot less roundabout 
than some of the other journeys I've talked with you about. I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia, home of the Virginia Tech Cokies, in a family that loved the Virginia Tech Cokies, and thus, I love the Virginia Tech Hokies and heavily dislike the Hokies rivals, the Virginia Cavaliers, and the West Virginia Mountaineers. I remember once for Halloween dressing up like a Hokie football player, including a f- helmet and a football. I would watch the games on television when they are available, but mostly just listen on the radio to Bill Roth and Mike Burnup, imagining how the players were running up and down the field, matching the opponent. I wouldn't go to games often, mostly because my mom was mostly trying to scrape by with the help of my grandparents. But I do heavily remember going with my dad to a game against Akron in 1995. It was a heavy downpour, and the Hokies won 77-27. Until recently, the head coach of the Hokies was Frank Beamer. He started in the year before I was born, so for a long time, I had no concept of a Virginia Tech football team without Coach Beamer. Under Beamer, the Hokies football team went from a small-time football team to a team capable of winning conference championships and occasionally being a national power, going to the BCS National Championship game on January 4th, 2000, but losing to Florida State. The 1999 season was wonderful for both of the football teams I was a fan of until it was absolutely not. One of the things that definitely tied myself closer to college football was the NCAA football video game series. I remember getting a copy of NCAA Football 98 on Windows and becoming enraptured. From there, when I got a PlayStation 2, I got NCAA Football 2002 which basically got me to buy the game every year until the series unfortunately got caught up in the money aspects of college football with its final installment of NCAA 14 for Xbox 360. As I used to sink hours and hours into the series, I am selfishly hoping that the name, image, and likeness rights could usher the game back into existence. Former EA executive Peter Moore had confidence in 2016 that the series would return as per CBS Sports. I was at the 2018 Virginia-Virginia Tech game. It was my first ever Commonwealth Cup game, which was the rivalry between the two schools. Virginia Tech had had a rough season, coming into the game four and six, needing two wins to become bowl eligible. Usually Virginia is the final regular season game on the Hokie schedule, but this year they had a hastily scheduled game against Marshall after the Hokies had a game canceled against East Carolina due to a hurricane. According to SB Nation's Richard Johnson, this was an organizational difference between the two athletic departments and caused a lot of arguments in person and on online message boards. Either way, Virginia Tech needed to win, not only to become bowl eligible, but to continue a streak over Virginia, which had lasted since 2004. The Cavaliers had not beaten the Hokies in 14 attempts. The game was played on a really cold day in November, the day after Thanksgiving. Throughout the game, it seemed like Virginia Tech would have enough to outlast the hated rivals from Charlottesville, but then the fourth quarter happened. Early in that quarter, the Hokies scored on a short run to put them up 24-14. Then the Cavaliers scored 17 straight points to take a 7-point lead with just a few minutes to go. The Hokies then scored a touchdown in a very odd way, as the running back fumbled into the end zone and a wide receiver picked it up, tying the game at 31. 
In the first overtime period, the Hokies kicked a field goal to take a 34-31 lead. At this point in the game, I was no longer thinking about how cold my fingers and toes were getting. I was only thinking about the one stop that the Hokies needed to cause. The first play Virginia ran in overtime was a pass to bring them within striking range. The second play was the end of the game, as the Virginia quarterback and running back had a miscommunication, which jarred the ball loose and the Hokies fell on it to win the game and their 15th straight against the Cavaliers. In my lifetime, I don't think I'll ever forget seeing the ball pop loose and the exhilaration I felt after the Hokies fell on it and they survived. Thus is the excitement of college football. Thank you for listening to I Brought My Own Soapbox. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you have a moment, subscribe in your podcast app of choice and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. If you'd like to suggest things for me to talk about or offer your own thoughts, you can tweet at the show at myownsoapboxpod or email me at myownsoapboxpod at gmail.com. Thank you to James Anderson for the name of this podcast. You can find him on Twitter at unabashedjames. Thank you to Creative John for the cover art. You can find his works on Dribble and contact him via Reddit and email via links in the show notes. The intro and outro music is Something Elated by Broke for Free. A link to the song in the free music archive and the link to the license can also be found in the show notes. The music under my monologue is Deep Relaxation Preview by Kevin McLeod. A link to the song at Incompetech and a link to the license can be found in the show notes as well. Also in the show notes are linked to the research I've done. Have a good day.